This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. In early January 1933, Adolf Hitler greeted an unusual visitor at his quarters in the Hotel Kaiserhof renowned mystic Eric Jan Hannesen. The previous March, Hannesen had predicted that Hitler would become Chancellor of Germany within the year. Nine months later, things were looking unlikely. Hitler had been passed over for the chancellorship, and the Nazis had underperformed in the latest elections. With his political prospects worsening by the day, Hitler needed to know if Hannesen's vision still held true. Upon arriving, Hannesen sat the Nazi leader on a chair in the middle of the room. The famous fortune teller took a close look at Hitler's hands, then carefully examined every bump and crevice along his head. Sinking deep into a trance, the words Hannesen spoke seemed to come from outside his body. I see victory for you. It cannot be stopped. It seemed too good to be true. After all, Hitler no longer had any political leverage, but Hannesen assured him that the chancellorship was still within his reach. And according to the legendary psychic, he could show Hitler how to get it. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. Ah, but sometimes it's not. 
You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. This is our second and final episode on Adolf Hitler, history's most infamous dictator. Last week, we examined Hitler's improbable rise to power, his obsession with military development, and his final days holed up in a bunker underneath Berlin. This week, we'll be examining some of the most popular conspiracy theories surrounding the Fuhrer. First, we'll look into the possibility that his quest for power was aided by supernatural forces. Second, we'll analyze whether the Nazis had access to alien technology to propel their military advances. And lastly, we'll tackle the chilling prospect that those days in the bunker weren't Hitler's last. Historians generally agree that Hitler's improbable journey from struggling artist to Fuhrer of the Third Reich was largely due to three factors, his captivating public speaking abilities, an unprecedented wave of anti-Semitism, and severe economic anxieties following World War I. But others believe there were more sinister forces behind Hitler's rise to power. Hitler stated in his manifesto, Mein Kampf, that his nationalist, anti-Semitic beliefs took shape after moving to Vienna in 1907 at age 18. But according to a childhood companion, that process began earlier, when Hitler still lived in the Austrian city of Linz. As Hitler's friend August Kubasek told in his book, The Young Hitler I Knew, the future dictator was particularly passionate about the works of composer Richard Wagner. In fact, a performance of Wagner's opera, Rienzi, may have changed Hitler's life forever. The opera's story followed the titular character's attempt to unify Rome in the 14th century, only to be betrayed and killed. After the performance, Kubasek expected Hitler's usual tirade of opinions and critiques, but he was uncharacteristically silent. Instead of heading home, Hitler stalked up the Freinberg Hill that looked over the town. Ever the loyal friend, Kubasek followed. With the city's twinkling lights below them and the shining stars above, Hitler turned to his companion. Grasping Kubasek's hand in his, Hitler's eyes shone bright with excitement. Normally, Hitler's thoughts were put together and eloquent, but now he erupted in ragged, excited outbursts. As the words flowed from his mouth, Kubasek thought it was as if someone else were speaking on Hitler's behalf. Hitler spoke of a higher mission far beyond his intention to become an artist. He seemed certain that he was destined to lead the German people to greatness. The moment he finished speaking, Hitler's rapturous energy disappeared. It was as if the whole thing had never happened. The two men wouldn't speak about the incident until 1939. But that night left a huge impression on Hitler. When he and Kubasek recollected the experience, the Fuhrer remarked, in that hour, it began. But what began? 
On the surface, Hitler was referring to his journey to becoming the iron-fisted dictator of Germany. And yet, some have speculated that he was referring to the onset of something more frightening, his possession by the devil. This theory was first presented in a 1998 historical religious booklet published by the Philadelphia Church of God titled Germany and the Holy Roman Empire. Its authors believed that on the fateful night atop Freinberg Hill, Hitler wasn't gripped by inspiration from Wagner's opera. He had fallen under the control of a demon. In August Kubitschek's account, he wrote how it was as if another being spoke out of Hitler's body and moved him as much as me. It certainly seems like something overcame him that night. Some of Hitler's followers later remarked that they believed he was a vessel for spirits. It's not clear what kind of spirits they were referring to, but it seems they wanted to use Hitler for malevolent purposes. His aide, Ermann Rauschning, remarked in the book Hitler Speaks, one cannot help thinking of him as a medium. For most of the time, mediums are ordinary, insignificant people. Suddenly, they are endowed with what seems to be supernatural powers. Once the crisis is passed, they fall back again into mediocrity. That description certainly did fit Hitler. To some, mediocre would be the perfect definition of Hitler as a young man. His grades were poor, and he showed little promise as an artist. There was no sign that he was capable of becoming a world leader. But there was one thing that did set Hitler apart from others, his eyes. After English-German philosopher Houston Stewart Chamberlain met Hitler in 1923, he wrote, it is as if his eyes were equipped with hands, for they grip a man and hold him fast. According to the authors of the article Hitler and the Holy Roman Empire, enchanting eyes are a sure sign of demonic possession. Maybe the night Hitler and August Kubitschek saw the opera Rienzi, he really was possessed by Satan. And when August Kubitschek described Hitler's eyes as feverish with excitement, maybe he was actually staring into the ambitions of the Prince of Darkness. And Hitler's powerful eyes aren't the only evidence that his rise was engineered by powerful, dark spirits. In 1932, famous mystic Erich Jan Hannesen predicted that Hitler would become Chancellor of Germany. Less than a year later, it became true. At the time, Hannesen was one of Germany's biggest celebrities. He wowed national audiences with fortune-telling and mind-reading and the Nazis were among them. It's not entirely clear when Hannesen and Hitler first met. Some scholars believe it was as early as 1920. Others think that Hitler arranged a meeting after March 1932 when Hannesen foresaw that the Nazi leader would become chancellor within a year. At the time, Hannesen's vision seemed more like pandering than a prediction. The Nazis were on the rise and became the best represented party in the parliament, or Reichstag, a few months later. But following President Hindenburg's refusal to name Hitler chancellor, the Nazis' momentum ground to a halt. By the end of 1932, Hitler's political career was on the verge of collapse. It seemed like Hannesen's prediction wouldn't come to pass, but the seer promised Hitler otherwise. 
When the pair met in January 1933, Hannison evidently presented Hitler with a mandrake root. Traditionally, this human-shaped plant has been said to contain great magical powers. According to Hannison, this particular specimen was no exception. He told Hitler that the root cemented a magical bond between them. As long as the Nazi leader stayed loyal to that bond, he would become chancellor. But if he didn't, he'd be cursed with disaster within 12 years. Hitler promised to remain loyal. And on January 30th, President Hindenburg handed him the chancellorship. And there's more. During a seance Hannison conducted on February 26, 1933, one of his seers saw a vision of a massive building on fire. The next day, the Reichstag went up in flames. As we covered last week, Hitler used the Reichstag fire as an excuse to seize total control over Germany. He then wielded his newfound powers to eliminate anyone he considered a threat to his ambitions, including Erich Jan Hannesen. The night of March 24, 1933, three men snatched Hannesen off the street. The very next morning, his dead body was discovered in a field outside Berlin. To this day, it's not clear who killed Hannesen, but it's generally accepted that Hitler ordered his death. It might seem odd that Hitler murdered the man who helped him achieve absolute power, but maybe he didn't want anyone else to utilize Hannesen's abilities. And now that Hitler had the authority he had craved for so long, perhaps he didn't think he needed to rely on the magic bond that had given him the chancellorship, or fear the curse that came with breaking it. Or maybe the reasons were more practical. It was an open secret that Hannesen was actually Jewish. Now that Hitler was leading a national anti-Semitic movement, it wouldn't look good to have him in his inner circle. Additionally, several Nazi officials owed significant gambling debts to Hannesen. There were even rumors that the fortune teller had footage of some Nazis engaging in gay orgies during private seances. Whatever the motivation was, it appeared the punishment for breaking the Mandrake bond came true. Hitler lost World War II in 1945, almost 12 years exactly after he made the pact with Hannesen. Perhaps the curse was real. Coming up, we look into the possibility that Hannesen's curse doomed the Third Reich. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use gift mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. 
Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Now, back to the story. Twelve years after Hitler made the Mandrake Pact with Erich Jan Hannesen, Germany lost World War II. The famous mystic had warned Hitler that he'd be doomed with a horrible curse before 12 years was up if he ever broke the pact. And as the Allied forces descended on Berlin in April 1945, it seemed like that curse was coming to fruition. But is there enough evidence to prove that it was a curse? It wasn't as if Hitler's defeat was due to bad luck or misfortune. In truth, it stemmed from tactical blunders and missteps. It wasn't a mandrake root that convinced Hitler to fight Russia in the winter. It was his own hubris. Maybe, but maybe not. Paranormal forces and Hitler's free will don't have to be mutually exclusive. It could be that on the day he and August Kubitschek saw the performance of Wagner's Rienzi, Hitler made a pact with the devil. A demon didn't necessarily have to take control of his mind. Hitler could have been using its dark magic to further his own ends. But every deal with the devil has a price. And for Hitler, that price was the destruction of the Third Reich. I don't buy it. If Hitler made a deal with the devil back in Linz, why couldn't Satan get him into art school? Why did Hitler become homeless? If a demon was guiding him to greatness, it was doing a bad job. And his eyes didn't suddenly become striking that night. Hitler's secondary school teacher noticed how captivating they were. Perhaps his behavior after seeing the opera could just be chalked up to youthful exuberation. And Hannison's predictions were just the result of him hitching his horse to the right wagon. We also have to consider the fact that Hannison probably wasn't capable of real magic. In his trade, what looks like prescient predictions and observations are typically nothing more than showmanship. During one performance, he accurately predicted that a woman had a broken mirror in her bag and he somehow knew her home address. But there was no magic in this trick. An assistant had noticed the broken mirror while collecting tickets. And a number on that ticket was tied to a local hotel logbook that had her address. In all likelihood, there was no spellbinding Hannison, Hitler, and a mandrake root together. So while it's strange that a struggling artist could become the most infamous dictator in history, there doesn't seem to be much evidence in favor of anything supernatural behind Hitler's rise to power. It doesn't seem like it. But as the saying goes, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Hitler's ascent was so improbable, there has to be at least some room for doubt. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being likely and 1 being impossible, I'd rate the theory of Hitler and the supernatural a 2. I wouldn't even go that far. It's irresponsible and plain wrong to absolve him of any blame for the atrocities the Nazis committed during his rise to power and rule over Germany. I'd give it a 1. Completely unbelievable. However, Hitler may not have felt he needed magic to help him achieve his goals. According to our next conspiracy theory, his bloodthirsty quest for global domination was powered by alien technology. Once Hitler seized power in 1933, one of his priorities was rebuilding the German military. 
In addition to building conventional weapons, he also pushed the development of what he called wonder weapons. Hitler hoped new weapons could turn the tide of the war back in his favor. And as we discussed a bit last week, some of them were truly terrifying. The Tiger Heavy Tank, ME-262 jet fighter, and V rockets. If Hitler had more time and resources, they might have been enough for him to regain the advantage against the Allies. And these projects were only the tip of the iceberg. There were dozens of other wonder weapons in development that never saw the light of day. For instance, there was an X-ray weapon prototype that American forces captured in April 1945, or the model of a one-man ball tank the Soviets discovered upon invading Germany. But one of these weapons dwarfed them all. It was so powerful, so sophisticated, that building it with human technology seemed impossible. The project was so advanced, it had to be alien. Evidence that Hitler was harnessing alien technology might have been hidden in plain sight, in the form of the Nazis' swastika flag. Today, the image of the swastika is closely associated with Hitler's regime, but in reality, it's one of the world's oldest symbols. Generally, the swastika represents peace or well-being, it's appeared in cultures all across the world, from India, China, the Americas, and more. The exact origin of the swastika is unclear, but some scholars believe it was first used in Hinduism, which was founded sometime between 2300 and 1500 BCE around modern-day Pakistan, the same general region the Aryans supposedly originated. Because of this link, many German nationalist movements, including the Nazis, adopted the swastika as their symbol. But there may have been other reasons too. By adopting the swastika, the Nazis could have been showing their loyalty to a superior power, one that came from outer space. Some ancient alien theorists believe that early Hindu civilizations developed sophisticated flying machines called vimanas. There were floating palaces used to transport the Hindu gods, which these theorists believe were actually extraterrestrials. In terms of design, the Vimanas were shaped like massive bells. Using advanced anti-gravity technology, they ferried the alien visitors throughout the galaxy. And thousands of years later, the Nazis may have discovered how to make Vimanas for themselves. In the year 2000, Polish military historian Igor Witkowski published a book called The Truth About the Wunderwaffe. In it, he claims he had access to a transcript of an interrogation of Nazi officer Jakob Sporenberg. During the interrogation, Sporenberg revealed the existence of a Nazi project called Die Glocke, or The Bell. Evidently, the bell was a saucer-shaped craft which got its power from rotating anti-gravity drums. Though he didn't provide any pictures, the way Witkowski described it was eerily similar to the ancient Vimanas. If Germany had been able to mass-produce this technology, there's no way the Allies could have stopped them. Even one fully operational bell armed with enough missiles could conceivably level London and Washington, D.C., in the same day. But before we get into the possibility of the bell being real, we have to ask whether the Nazis could have accessed this kind of technology. 
Creating deadly missiles or advanced planes is one thing. Building an anti-gravity spaceship is another. Unless they found the secret deep within the ruins of an ancient Hindu temple. Shortly after Hitler became chancellor, he founded the Anerba, or the Ancestral Heritage Research and Teaching Society. The Anerba's goal was to find archaeological proof that the Aryans had ruled over humanity in the distant past. If the ancient Aryans had access to alien technology, taking over this dominion certainly would have been possible. To find his proof, Hitler dispatched archaeological expeditions all across the globe. Some of these missions were in the Far East. It could be that they unearthed the technology behind Vimanas. And there is evidence that the Nazis may have been working on technology beyond human capacity. As Allied forces increased bombing efforts against the Third Reich in 1943, Germany started building a network of massive underground tunnels in Poland called Project Risa. According to high-ranking Nazi officers Albert Speer, Nicholas von Bülow, these tunnels were meant to serve as potential military headquarters. But others believe their true purpose was to house secret projects. And some researchers believe they found where the Nazis were building the bell. Outside one of the Project Risa tunnels is the skeletal remains of a building ancient aliens theorists called the Henge. It was named after England's Stonehenge, both for its appearance and for its potential link to paranormal forces. The generally accepted belief is that the Henge housed an industrial cooling tower. But those who believe the Nazis were experimenting with alien technology believe it was where they kept the bell. Theorists point to the fact that the Henge was highly secured. If it were a mere cooling tower, it wouldn't have needed so much protection. But the area was intended to potentially serve as Hitler's military headquarters. Tight security around the tunnels would have been absolutely necessary. And it just so happened that the Henge was near them. So it doesn't seem that strange. Well, unfortunately, we'll never know the truth. The actual remnants of the cooling tower are gone. Traditional scholars only think that the Henge contained one because there are similar structures that housed cooling towers elsewhere in the region. On the other hand, there's no evidence that the bell was ever there either, or any physical proof that it ever existed at all. But maybe that's because there was none to leave behind. Not because it was obliterated during the Allied advance on Germany, but because it was no longer there. In addition to being an anti-gravity aircraft, some believe that the bell was actually a time travel device. So the question of what happened to the bell might not be where it went, but when. At 4.47 p.m. on December 9, 1965, a flaming object crashed in the woods outside Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. At first, the government claimed it was nothing more than a meteor. The first people to arrive on the scene, however, said the object was around 10 or 12 feet long and shaped like an acorn, narrow on top and wider on the bottom. But they never got the chance to get a good look at it. By 8 p.m., the military had it removed and transported it to an undisclosed location. Some ancient alien theorists believe that this project was, in fact, the Nazi bell, and that it was transporting the head of Project Risa, General Hans Kammler. 
After the Germans surrendered in early May 1945, Kammler mysteriously disappeared. A body bearing his identification was found in a water tank near Lübeck, Germany in early April, but there are records of him meeting with other Nazi officials over a week later, so that body couldn't have been him. There are several stories about what happened to Kammler. Some say he was killed by Czech rebels, Others say he shot himself and was buried in an unmarked grave outside of Prague. But his body was never recovered, sparking theories that he survived. Some think that the Americans might have smuggled him back to the U.S. and used his expertise for their space program, much like they did with Dr. Werner von Braun and other German scientists. These men were pivotal figures in the space race, so maybe Kammler contributed as well. After all, the technology behind the bell would have been extremely useful for NASA. It's possible, but unlikely. Although Kammler was a high-ranking officer, he was a manager more than anything else. There's little chance the Allies would have found him useful enough to warrant saving him, or to forgive his war crimes. But that doesn't mean Kammler didn't make his way to America. Perhaps, as Allied forces approached Project Risa, Kammler decided to escape to the U.S. 20 years into the future. Or maybe not. The whole idea that the bell was a powerful anti-gravity device is based upon the belief that Hindu vimanas were extraterrestrial spacecraft. While ancient texts do describe vimanas as transporting the gods, the document ancient alien theorists point to as proof they were spaceships is unreliable at best. This document, known as the Vamanaka Shastra, essentially serves as a flight manual for Vamanas. It describes how to power up the craft, its pilot's uniforms, and the destructive capabilities. That seems like pretty good proof that the Vamanas were spaceships. It would be, if it were legitimate. The Vimanaka Shastra isn't actually an ancient text. It was written in 1918. Supposedly, its contents were channeled to the author from the spirit world. Or at least, that's what the English translator said when he presented the Vimanaka Shastra to the world in 1952. But even if the Vimanas weren't really spaceships, that doesn't necessarily mean the Nazis couldn't have developed the bell on their own. According to Polish historian Igor Witkowski, who initially published this theory, the interrogation transcript that revealed the possible existence of the bell definitely says they did. The question is if it can be trusted. Witkowski's book only contained a transcription of that transcript, and nobody has been able to confirm its legitimacy. Well, perhaps there's no need to, when the physical proof crashed in Pennsylvania in 1965. After all, eyewitnesses described the object looking just like the bell, and the government's explanation that it was a meteorite doesn't exactly hold water. That's true. The leading theory states it was an American spy satellite that was unsuccessfully launched into orbit. The bell-shaped device people saw was probably the casing for the satellite. In all likelihood, the bell never existed. Even though the Nazis' wonder weapons were advanced and deadly, they were more likely only working with human technology. But because we can't know everything that was happening at Project Risa or what happened to its commander, there are some unanswered questions. Therefore, on a scale of 1 to 10, we're giving this theory a 3. 
not likely, but not something we can completely discredit. In the end, Hitler didn't need alien technology to implement his reign of terror. And as our next theory will examine, maybe that reign didn't end with Hitler's suicide at the end of World War II. Coming up, we look into whether Hitler might have escaped from the underground bunker with his life. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now, back to the story. Last week, we went over Hitler's final days in his bunker underneath Berlin. With Soviet forces less than a kilometer away, he took his life on April 30th, 1945. When General Yorgi Zhukov's forces arrived outside the bunker two days later, his soldiers recovered a skull fragment and piece of jawbone. Hitler's dentists confirmed the teeth in the jawbone matched their records, and the matter seemed settled. The Fuhrer was dead. But when the Allied leaders gathered for the Potsdam Conference in mid-July, Joseph Stalin told a different story. Over lunch, he speculated that Hitler had fled to Argentina or Spain. It wasn't entirely out of the realm of possibility. Stalin wasn't the only one saying Hitler might still be alive and suggesting that his dentists were lying. A few months later, a woman in Denmark claimed she had seen Hitler posing as a monk. Someone else said he was hiding in Ireland as a woman or in Egypt after having converted to Islam. Another witness thought they saw him on a train to New Orleans. People were seeing Hitler everywhere and the British and American governments were taking these reports seriously. Hitler had shown the ability to rally back from apparent defeat before, like after his failed Beer Hall Putsch in 1923. With Germany in ruins, Allied forces feared that he might try and mobilize support to his cause again. To get to the bottom of it, the British appointed a historian named Hugh Trevor Roper to conduct an investigation in September 1945. Working from eyewitness accounts of those who had been in the bunker with Hitler, Trevor Roper concluded that the Fuhrer was very much deceased. But the matter still wasn't settled. In 1948, a former Nazi Air Force captain declared he had flown Hitler out of Berlin and into Denmark two days before his supposed suicide, which meant the Fuhrer was very much alive. The claim had some validity. The day the Air Force captain said he had saved Hitler, another Air Force officer had escaped from the bunker. It was entirely plausible that Hitler had gone with him. If he had, he could be almost anywhere in the world, plotting to restart the Nazi movement. To see if Hitler had slipped through their fingers, British intelligence tracked down every pilot stationed in Berlin at the time. None of them could verify the officer's claim. Furthermore, the city the captain said he flew Hitler to was under Allied control at the time of his alleged flight. Even so, the story garnered significant attention in Britain. Over the next decade, British intelligence and their American counterparts tracked down numerous Hitler sightings. 
It was particularly common to receive tips that Hitler had been spotted in Argentina. At the time, the Argentinian president was a proponent of fascist ideologies. Once the war ended, he created so-called rat lines through Spain and Italy that allowed thousands of Nazis to escape to South America. And it wasn't just the rank and file who were able to utilize the rat lines. High-ranking officers like Adolf Eichmann, architect of the Final Solution, and Josef Mengele, nicknamed the Angel of Death, managed to flee to Argentina. Eichmann lived in anonymity under a false passport until Israeli Mossad operatives found him in 1960, and the authorities never found Mengele. He died in 1979 when he suffered a stroke while taking a swim. It could be that Hitler managed to evade detection as well. But even though Eichmann and Mengele were amongst the worst of the Nazi war criminals, nobody compared to Hitler. The Americans, British, and Israelis dedicated significant resources to tracking down any indication that he still lived. They never found anything. But maybe the reason Hitler was never found is because the investigators weren't looking in the right place. Some theorists believe that nobody ever found Hitler on Earth because he was below it. They think that Hitler escaped the bunker and fled to somewhere nobody would look, a subterranean fortress in Antarctica. Hitler had reportedly organized an expedition there in 1938. He allegedly wanted to collect stores of whale oil to turn into margarine so he wouldn't have to rely on importing it from other countries in case of war. To get the whales he needed, he wanted to establish a base in Antarctica. The expedition reportedly departed on December 17, 1938, to scout for potential areas to build the base. Even though it was a scientific excursion, regulations mandated a representative of the Nazi party to be among the 82-man crew. The voyage may not have had a political purpose, but Hitler made sure his interests were enforced at all times. They arrived in Antarctica in January and spent the next month mapping the area Hitler had designated. They returned in February with little to show for their efforts and the base was never created. Or so they said. Maybe the expedition had a secondary mission, one that the Nazi officer on board was tasked with executing. The German nationalist movement actually had a long history with Antarctica, dating back to 1870. That year, author Edward Bulwer-Lytton anonymously published a novel called Vril, The Power of the Coming Race. It told the story of an American explorer who encounters descendants of the Aryans. Living deep underneath Antarctica, this powerful race was known as the Vril. They harnessed an energy source of the same name to power a utopian, technologically advanced society. Although the book's preface described it as a novel and not a work of nonfiction, some occultists accepted it as truth, particularly followers of theosophy, the pseudo-religion that served as the basis for the German nationalist belief in the Aryan master race. This belief in the Vril may have extended to Hitler. In 1935, German scientist Willy Ley, who fled to the United States, wrote an article for Astounding Science Fiction magazine claiming there was a group 
more or less localized in Berlin that devoted its spare time to looking for Vril. The sentiment was echoed in a 1960 French book called Morning of the Magicians. Its authors claimed the Nazis wanted to build spaceships fueled with Vril. If so, perhaps the true purpose of the expedition to Antarctica was to find the Vril civilization living underground, and maybe they found it. But there's many reasons this scenario is extremely unlikely. First and foremost, the entire concept of the Vril was based on fiction. Well, there's always the chance that the book's author was working from a true event, but there's no evidence to prove he was. Furthermore, there's nothing to back up the claims from Morning of the Magicians. Most likely, their basis was Vili Lay's 1935 article, and he was known to mix fact and fiction in his writing. Second, there's no way the civilization could work as it was described. At the time of the novel's publishing, books like Journey Through the Center of the Earth conceived of a hollow Earth that could support such a society. But as modern science has shown, that simply isn't possible. Third, an above-ground base wouldn't be feasible either. Maintaining it in a frozen wasteland would take extreme resources. There's almost no chance such an operation wouldn't have been discovered. So Hitler's escape to Antarctica can be ruled out. But it didn't have to be Antarctica. He could have gone anywhere. And in 2009, with new evidence, the possibility that he somehow slipped through the Allies' fingers was raised yet again. That year, DNA tests conducted on the skull fragments the Soviet soldiers recovered at the bunker site showed that it wasn't Hitler's. It belonged to a woman. Although this fragment could have been Ava Brown's, there was no DNA profile to match it to. Maybe Stalin had been telling the truth when he said Hitler escaped the bunker. It could be. But Stalin also had motivation to lie. It was in his interest to keep the Western powers focused on Hitler so he could consolidate his own power in Eastern Europe. In order to put the question to rest, in 2018, French scientists were allowed to forensically test the jawbone piece that had been recovered alongside the skull fragment. The extremely unhealthy teeth mirrored Hitler's notoriously bad dental hygiene and matched his official x-rays. Although it's impossible to confirm 100% without a DNA test, the study proved beyond any reasonable doubt that it was Hitler's, unless he was so desperate to evade the Allies that he cut out a piece of his jawbone, there's no way he escaped the bunker alive. But until DNA testing can confirm the jawbone was his, there is the tiniest possibility that he did. Therefore, on a believability scale of 1 to 10, we're giving this theory a 2. When it comes to Adolf Hitler, it's not surprising that there are many conspiracy theories. He was so evil, it's hard to believe he could have been a regular human being. But there's no real evidence to prove he wasn't. There were no demonic forces behind his ascent, no alien technology to power his war machine, no possibility that he escaped his bunker alive. Thank goodness he didn't. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. 
Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Conspiracy Theories, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Alex Benedon, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. <laughs>